I'm wrestling, you're not weak for me. Celebrate what I am. Celebrate what I have been. Celebrate what I represent. And celebrate the many ways I have impacted your life. I will survive this test as I have survived others. I am forever etched into the very fiber of all mankind. The world needs me. Time is on my side. History guarantees me. I am wrestling. Do not wait for me. What's up, everybody? This is Ben Askren. You're listening to episode number 41 of the T-Row and Funky Show. Joined, as always, by my outstanding co-host, Tommy Rollins. What's up, Tommy? What's up, my brother? I don't have my uh, my Yeti speaker on me. I'm driving back to Pittsburgh on a sales call and uh, excited to talk some wrestling with you, brother. Well, good. Well, uh, I'm excited as well. And I, I, I just threw some topics at you. And then while in the in the two minutes between I threw those at you, and when we got on the show, I just kind of glanced through some news, and I found this very, very, very interesting topic. And I, I can't wait, Tommy. It's got to be number one. We got to talk about it because it's kind of what we've well, talked tell about. Tell me a lot. about it. I don't it's going to make my freaking head explode, Tommy. Okay. Okay. So, so you, you realize the UWW had their um, annual convention. They don't call it convention. What do they call it? Their Congress. The Congress. Their Congress. Week. Yeah. Okay. This is insane, Tommy. So I can read it in length. But what they're saying is that they want to sign, all national federations should sign wrestling athletes to contracts in which if the athlete leaves to go pursue another avenue such as mixed martial arts, the athlete has to pay the national federation to leave. Wow. What? (laughs) I mean... So so this is a worldwide fundamental position that the UWW is taking. Do you want me to, I'll just, you want me to read it to you? It's yeah, let's do it. Paragraph. Let's go. Read okay. it up. Yep. Says, number 15, re- new contractual arrangement for UWW licensed wrestlers. Many wrestlers turn to professional mixed martial arts leagues at the end or even during their Olympic career where they usually earn substantial amounts of money. No compensation is paid back to the federation that has trained, educated, or coached these athletes for years. UWW is considering the possibility of a contract for all wrestlers holding a UWW license with a non-concurrence clause and the possibility to overturn this clause via compensation for the National Federation. As such a possibility is still under review, more information will be provided to all National Federations. In such case, a contract should be implemented. Well, there's just so many... There's so many ways to go with this. The the, the, the the way I would interpret this, at least initially, is we can all agree that that it's it's fair in theory for a governing body to place contracts on their athletes to not do other things if they're making a very fair and equitable and consistent amount of money. The rub that we have here, and you know, Ben, as well as I do, that every country pays their athletes a different amount, and even the biggest countries probably don't pay their athletes a consistent, fair, and equitable amount of money for what they do. Um, so I just feel like you're strapping down somebody who is still trying to survive, which is counterintuitive to really any business model. 
Yeah. But why? So I don't understand the UWW as a governing body, why they would have any right to implement something like this. That's my first question. Second of all, like you said, if they're fairly compensated, they're not going anywhere else, right? Right. Which right. we all know they're not, maybe with the exception of one or two countries, they're, wrestling athletes are not fairly compensated. I mean, could you imagine USA Wrestling trying to make a few of these guys sign contracts for a thousand bucks a month? Well, what's amazing to me is we know that wrestling is not a profit, for profit sport. They can try to be, but we're currently, we currently don't sustain ourselves. We couldn't support the sport without the outside help of, uh, you know, sports committees, other, other things that, you know, keep the sport afloat. Um, everything, you know, is run for the most part, in my opinion, on donated money or outside money from outside of the sport. We don't have uh, an economic model within wrestling that allows us to pay our athletes for the profits. So since we can't do that, even if we're willing to pay them 10, 15, 20 grand, you know, it's, it's never going to amount to an amount that, that allows them to really build a future for themselves. And so it's just so wrong for us to try to mandate or stipulate that a man or a woman in the sport can't go out while they're a competitive athlete and leverage what they've done or how they're doing it. Or their skill and, set. Or their skill set and build a future. It's just counterintuitive. If they were making, you know, the NFL is within their rights, in my opinion. NBA, Major League, some soccer, you know, uh, leagues. You know, yeah, hockey, yeah. you know the drill. I mean, sure, you know 100%. what? At the end of the day, that's, that's a for-profit business entity. They're in the business to make money. They have to protect their assets. Their assets are the athletes. They pay them so much money that it's it's actually fair and reasonable to ha- to request that type of documentation. Sure. So it's not weird. But in our sport, that's just totally bizarre to me. And, and they're different sports. I mean, I, I, I can't say that for sure, but... I mean, I'm pretty sure a football contract can't stipulate that you can't also go play baseball, right? A la Deion Sanders in the '90s. Um, I'm pretty sure. I think sure they're doing that. I think I think you can do that now, Ben. You can do that now. Yeah, I think you know. I think I actually think it, it goes it goes so far to say that like you can't ride a motorcycle and stuff like that. If you if you do that, we can fine you or we can not pay you and stuff like that. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. So, uh, yeah, I mean, and the thing I think, I think this just, this further, this is very illustrates the point. UWW, they just don't freaking have a clue. Um, and I don't think they're, they're putting much effort forth to make wrestling a professional avenue for these athletes. Cause like, like Tommy, I always go back to myself. If, if, if I could have made a full time living in wrestling, I never would have left. There's, there's not a freaking chance I would have left. Um, right. Even, Same and, here. <laughs> and, yeah. and not even get rich. I'm talking about like a decent, healthy, solid living. I would have never left. So um, this is just like, why are they preventing guys from going to make money? What they should be putting their efforts towards is building something, building five, ten tournaments where they can pay athletes something, right? Build well, sponsors, what, build what, tournaments. What, what, what? Did you see the UWW juniors? There was like 42 people in the stands. I think every one of them was a, 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 a wrestler. What's interesting to me, Ben, is that, not interesting, but the question I have is that, to me, if, if, if you and I are you, and then you're telling me what you're telling me is accurate, and this is actually what they're trying to pr- propose, and we're not misunderstanding it, right? If that is, in fact, the case, 
what is the dis- what is the argument? Like, how could they not understand what we're saying? So uh, they're saying they're, is- they're what they're trying to say here. Actually, I'm, so I'm looking at I'm now I'm I'm on the website that has the full documentation from their Congress. So I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up exactly. Um, but Tommy, I think what they're trying to say is that the national federations are spending so much money preparing these athletes that they're getting robbed if the athletes leave to go do something else. Yes. It, I mean, yeah, I'm looking at the thing, the, the, the document from the Congress, and uh, it reads just like it was typed where I read it somewhere else. Well, you know, I mean, I, I, they are putting significant investment dollars into this system. It might not hit the athlete's bank account. I mean, the athlete's bank account is not that much, but the money that they put behind it is, you know, it's not crazy significant, but it's a lot more than what they pay the athletes. Yeah. That being said, that being said, you know, if it's not, the athlete should be able to build their future yes. if, 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 if you're not able to build it for them. 100%. And I think that that's just like a human right almost, if yeah. that makes sense. Uh, that's an American right, right? The right, uh, right. What, what, what's it, what, how's it go? Oh my God, how am I forgetting this? Liberty, happiness, and the freedom. Uh, and life, the life of... liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Thank yeah. you. I'm sorry. I'm an idiot. There you uh, go, baby. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. And so you know what we could, which I also did not include this in the text, but this made me think of it. Um, you saw your boy Kyle Snyder went to the fights the other night, right? I sure did. He went did... to Cleveland and said he wants to fight. Yeah. And so people said, people read his tweet as, I want to fight UFC, which I thought would be a silly, silly way to phrase that sentence. I thought his statement, people got to know how to read social media, was, I want to fight, that being a sentence, and then tagging the UFC so they are aware of the fact that he that's wants exactly, to, in fact, that's fight. That's exactly what he said, yeah. Okay. So I just want to clear that up for, for our listening audience who uh, might not be as familiar with social media as we are. Um, that, that is, uh, man, that's interesting to me because I know Kyle would be great. I mean, I was just on my other podcast, MMA podcast, Tommy, th- this is crazy. This is a crazy stat. In the MMA heavyweight division, in the top 40 in the world, there's one guy under the age of 30. How crazy wow. is that? I mean, and, and so that, means, that means if I got in shape and stuff, I just, my age and everything would be right in there, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, really, like, Tommy, the, the top the top 10, almost all of them are 36, 37, 38, 39. I mean, they're all old. And, it, and it's really, it's a bizarre phenomenon. But, I mean, I, I, I legitimately think, Tommy, if you gave me Kyle Snyder, you give me six months, not even, give me give me freaking three months. Give, give me three months with Kyle Snyder talking about how to defend punches, how to evade punches in a manner that you will get a takedown, and how to avoid a few submissions. This dude's going to go beat someone in the top 10. No problem. I agree. Three months. Three months. I agree. I agree with you. I mean, he just he's just that good at what he does. Now, yeah, and then, then you got three or four where, you know, it gets interesting. But, yeah, I, I, would, I would agree with that. Yeah. So, um, but not, okay, now realistically, you give him a year to train. Um, I don't know if there's a person on the planet that can beat up Kyle Snyder with a year of training. I mean, wow. He, he's that good. He's that good. Well, you know, why, why can we doubt him anymore? We've seen what he's done in the last two years. Um, so, so why they, do you think it's why do you think it's so bad that I lost him in a workout last fall? And you keep rubbing me for it, man. Hey, remember, that time, mean, remember that time you got your butt kicked by Kyle saying Snyder? He could, you're saying he could be the fattest man on the planet within a year, 
and you keep you keep nailing me with the yeah, but, but wrestling Tommy, you're, you, you know, I know you forgot this, but you're you are a pretty damn good wrestler. So you got, I know, you but got I'm saying, you're saying this guy, this guy's a world Olympic champion, and he well. takes win the UFC in a year, and you keep you keep just banging me up for losing <laughs> to him in a wrestling practice. Hey, you brought it up this time, not me. <laughs> so hey, I want I want to ask you this question because um, I, I think he's your age, but may, maybe I'm off by a year or two. Uh, so the the heavyweight champion of the entire world is in fact from Ohio, wrestled for That's the Ohio correct. Bobcats. Uh, did you ever? No, he wrestled for Cleveland State. Oh, you're right, you're right. I'm sorry, he wrestled for Cleveland State. So Stipe Miocic defended his title in Cleveland, which was the fight, and the Cleveland crowd was freaking fantastic, Tommy. I mean, they were into it. It was the awesome. Fact, the fact that the fact that people said that it was better than the crowd in Dublin, Ireland, is amazing. Yeah, they said. I mean, it was. I was watching it. It was uh, the crowd was. Free, they were into it, man. They loved it. The heavyweight fight was awesome. So, did you ever wrestle Stipe or no? Yeah, I was. A, I'm a year older than Stipe, and we okay. wrestled uh, in high school. I was a senior. He was a junior. He went to East Lake North High School, and we wrestled in the semi, either the quarterfinals or semifinals of a very prestigious tournament in Ohio, not in the country, called the Top Gun Tournament. Yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah, and um, yeah, we wrestled. I spanked him pretty good. <laughs> Tommy Rowlands, <laughs> by default, what do they call that through osmosis, something like that, heavyweight champion of the world. Well, trans- transitive theory. Transitive theory, I can win the UFC, which means that Kyle Snyder would dominate. Okay, right? so right? how much does the Ohio RTC and USA Wrestling need to kick in so Kyle Snyder never has to consider fighting in his life? I don't know what the governing body does, but this guy is... They got to do something. I mean, listen, he's going to yeah, be a face of wrestling for the next decade. Yeah, I mean, I, they should kick in something. Um, I mean, the RTC is going to pay him a lot just to say that he trains in Columbus. So, yeah. I mean, I feel like they're... I mean, I'm assuming that. And so, um, you know, I don't know if they need to do much more than what they're willing to do to keep him training in Columbus at Ohio State. I would say that that would possibly fall on the shoulders of USA Wrestling, and that's a significant investment, but, you know, the, the guy's going to be uh, 22 years old when he graduates in March of 2018, and he's got 10 years on the circuit. If we keep him focused exclusively, you know, yeah. I, I don't know. But, man, hey. I mean, if, if you really – what's that? Go ahead. I will we just finish with? No, I just think – I mean, this guy's going to – even without – extra money i mean he's probably going to make well over 200 grand for 10 years i mean that's two million dollars that yeah i feel like he would make well he can make a lot more, more than that in fighting obviously and not only can he i think i think obviously think he would um right but so i you know i think what you have to consider then is that there's just I mean, a special other, like, vibe cider could, could cider could cider could make a lot more than 200 wrestling i mean he, sure, he could sure, and sure, should sure. If in the event that he is, is the best in the world, yeah. which is what he would need to be in the UFC to make those millions, um, if he's the best in the world in wrestling for that long, you know, I would say that it's a lot more than two hundred a year. You know, but who knows? Yeah, I mean, and the other thing that I think is uh, it's kind of X factor, and it's probably why he felt this on Saturday night because, from my understanding, before he went into the into the fight, he had no interest in fighting. Then he watched the fight, and he's like, I want to do that shit. And so, uh, <laughs> there's, uh, 
there, there's just something about being in that crowd and it's electric and there's 15,000 fans. And Tommy, you get that at NCAAs, but you don't get that very many at times in wrestling and probably never in international wrestling. You don't get that feeling. And someone like Kyle, who's a, who's a super successful, thrives on pressure. They love, you love that feeling, you know? You love it. And so um, I, I could see him wanting that too. My prediction is he is uh, it's not my prediction, but I could see him never actually going to fighting. Sure, if if people step up, right, right. So maybe that's what he's doing. Maybe that's what he's doing. Well, that, that wouldn't be a stupid move on his part. That'd be a very smart move. But listen, <laughs> UW, what UWW should be focused on, like I said, is building a handful of spectator-friendly tournaments in the hottest spots in the world. Uh, that they can sell advertisements to, that they can sell live streaming to, right? Because live streaming has become so popular. It's not like you need a, need a TV deal. You need Flow Wrestling to cover right, it. Right, right. Get, uh, you know, get thousands of subscriptions from Iran and Russia and Azerbaijan and all these countries, and you got a lucrative business model right there, right? So, um, no doubt. I mean, it, it's it's not that easy, but the but the initiative and the focus and the you know, just the genuine desire to try to do that should be visible, you would think, in the wrestling culture. Yeah, you would think. Or, but there, to me, it doesn't appear that they're trying at all. Right. Um, right. Okay, you want to get on to – I think we've got one more topic in us before uh, – and I know it's one you're passionate about before Coach Smith. So we're going Brian – for those of you who aren't – well, I don't think we said anything – Brian Smith, the University of Missouri head coach, is going to call in today and chat with us for a little bit. Um, Tommy, do you want to talk about J-Rob? Because when all this came down, you, you, were, you were pretty excited. You texted me or called me. I, I can't remember what it was. Um, do you want to hit on this situation, the J-Rob, what happened? Explain it. Um, I, I don't know if – yes, I do want to talk about it. But I don't know if it's really the situation before the, the legacy that Jay Robinson has, has in the wrestling community. I mean – you know, we can be highly speculative, even though none of, you know, you and I especially are not on the inside of, of the ins and outs of how all that went down. Um, it is a complex and sophisticated situation, but, you know, I tend to, you know, give Jay Robinson the benefit of the doubt because I feel like he's been a man of integrity, um, a straight shooter, and really had the athlete's best interest at heart, um, throughout the duration of his career so why would it be any different in the twilight of his career when he's 70 and you know he has issues with his student athletes doing things that they shouldn't be doing that being said it's sophisticated and you know could he should he would he have done things differently yes possibly and i don't want to get into the semantics of that all i know is that i know jay robinson wants to win but i know he cares about uh people more than more than winning and so I just know that from being around him. And so his career to me is built on instilling values and, and, um, and, and going about things the right way. And that's what he should be known for in wrestling, not how he had to exit, you know, the sport as a coach. And if you watch the video of him in the news and he said to the newscaster, and he was emotional and he was saying it, but he said, how many times are you going to try to save somebody you love? And, I think that's a really profound, sure. you know, rhetor- rhetorical question. And I think that we've seen coaches in other sports fall victim to the same thing. Jim Trussell, Ohio State, who could have, should have, would have maybe done something differently with the tattoos scandal. 
Um, and yes, he wanted to win. And yes, maybe he had some self-interest in mind as well. But I really think he was thinking in the best interest of the athletes too. And he felt a deep sense and obligation to take care of them because that's what he promised that kid and his parents when they were 17 years old and he was standing in their living room. And I think Jay Robinson has the same mentality. And um, I think he was acting in the best interest of the kid. He was trying to be that uh, parental mentor-type figure to these kids. And it's possible that he took matters into his own hands too much. I'm not saying it's not possible. But I think if he did do it, and he shouldn't have, um, it was done for the right reasons. I hope I'm making sense. No, I, I think you make... Uh... I think you make perfect sense, and that that would kind of echo my sentiments. Obviously, the rub for me would be that, as unfortunate as it as it is, in 2016, we know how a, a large athletic department is going to act. I mean, they're going to freaking try to cover their back from any kind of legal legal action that's possible. Um, so it is kind of sad that a guy like J. Rob can't do what he does, and I, you know. I'm sure over the course of his 30-year career, there's been athletes that have done some really stupid crap who would have been in a lot of trouble, and he straightened them out, and they are to this day, they're probably thankful for his guidance in those situations. Um, you know, Correct. And then the other thing that's difficult is these administrators, and you know, I'm not saying that they're any different than Jay Robinson. They might have the athlete's best interest in mind, but you and I know damn well, Ben, that they have been in similar pickles and chosen to do what they think is best in their mind, even if it's not what aligns with the actual sure. rules. Sure, sure. And I think, um, I, I would say to a certain extent, it, with what you should do in modern day large corporation slash athletic administration stuff, it's kind of passing the buck down the road. It's kind of saying like, well, this isn't my deal. I'm going to turn it over to the cops or I'm going to turn it over to the ADs oh. or whatever, right? Because Here's the other thing, especially especially in a non-revenue sport. Yeah, especially, in, yeah, unfortunately. Because why, why carry the baggage, right? It's like, you know what? This is a tough spot. This is uh, an interesting, you know, Jay Robinson, you know, let, let's say, you know, he was acting in the best interest of the kids. You know, this is a guys brought a lot of success to the University of Minnesota. Yeah. And um, anyways, I don't want to pass too much judgment on the decision that the athletic department made because I don't know the specifics, but I know that it's gray, it's a gray enough area where they could have defended Jay Robinson. They could have said, we're keeping him around, and it wouldn't have been like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're doing this type of reaction. Yeah. And, and you know what? I kind of... I feel semi the same way. I think, like, we all knew what was going to happen. He was going to get fired. Right. Now, do I agree with it? I, I don't think so. Uh, and I maybe I want to close this, this segment out, and we'll talk about maybe we have more time for one more thing now before Coach Smith comes on. Um, is one of, the, one of the coaches at the University of Missouri, not wrestling, not a non-wrestling coach, said to me one time, he's like, well, well, think about it this way, Ben. You got 518 through 22-year-olds who have high risk taking behavior and then on top of that they're athletes so they have, they probably have further risk taking behavior than more of the other 18 to 22 year olds and on top of that they they are very disciplined they have to work hard they've got to practice double what any other student student on this university is do you think they're not going to make some bad decisions sometimes 
Right. I mean, it's as simple as that. Kids at 18 or 22, they're all jacked up on testosterone, who are at the risk-taking <laughs> peaks of their life, who have to be very ultra-disciplined for a good portion of the year. They're going to make some stupid choices, and they're going to do some stupid shit. Now, and it, this Minnesota situation is probably past that stuff, but um, you know, expecting athletes to not make mistakes and expecting a coach not to have to want to correct the behavior and hopefully in the best um, in the best light for the athlete, I think is uh, it's crazy. I agree, man. It's uh, it's a tough spot to be in. I mean, these kids are at the crossroads of you know going from a kid to an adult. They have the world at their fingertips many times on the campuses they're on. They run the show. Not saying that makes it okay. I'm just saying that they have access to a, to the opportunity to make a lot of mistakes. And these coaches, the good ones, feel a deep sense of duty to help them navigate through that and become better people. And so it's just a tough spot to be in. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, so you want to move on? Yeah, man, let's do it. All right, let's move on. Last topic. I said last one was the last topic, but this is really the last topic. Your boy Lou got a job, uh, OU, and now he's hired Keith Gavin as the assistant. What do you think of that coaching staff? I know you know them both very well. Um, and what do you think it's going to take for them to overcome the hurdles that Mark Cody uh, was facing at OU? Well, I will say that I think that um, Lou Rizzelli, Keith Gavin, and I believe Leitner's staying around, but I don't know if that's for sure. One, you got three guys that were Olympians or world team members. They um, NCAA champions. Lou was not, but anyways, they've 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 seen a lot. They've been around a lot. It's a good melting pot of different, I think, philosophies. But also, um, they'll be able to be consistent in how they speak to the team. So I think the foundation is there. Um, I don't know the volunteer coach is going to be. It's going to be a, a you know a building. Well, I, I got to assume he's going to try to start some type of RTC, correct? Yes, yes, yes. I mean, I, I've spoken to Lou a lot, so I, I'm not going to share, you know, what he's got in his bag of tricks. But we all—I mean, it's obvious that he's going to want to look to develop, look to develop and build an Olympic program. I don't think it'll happen overnight. That's obviously on his mind. Um, but I think, as it relates to the staff, I mean, listen, Oklahoma wrestling is supposed to be at the minimum top ten a year. I think we, yeah. we could probably agree with that. I don't think that's going to happen this year with that team, but it, it will I think not. Lou it will not. But yeah, right. So I think Lou has that expectation long term, and um, I think that this coach, this coaching staff, can do it. I think though the thing, the thing that's interesting at Oklahoma and all these other schools is that there's there's a pool of let's call it uh, six to eight schools that all recruit the same best twenty yep. guys in America sure. coming out of high school. So. You know what they have to find a way to do, and you've got to kind of—it's the chicken or the egg, right? It's like, how do you get successful? Get the right kids. How do you get the right kids? Become successful. So it's like, which happens first? Yep. And I think that Lou and those guys—you know—they have to enter into a different stratosphere of talent, and they've got to get that talent in the in the program. Quite honestly, if Lou Roselli had a room full of talented people that worked hard, I know for a fact that he'll do phenomenal things with that program. I know that for a fact. I think the biggest challenge and the biggest thing that they're, they're going to have to do is they've got to reel that talent in and get them in the program. And, you know, and we've, Brian, we've talked before this about the difficulty 
of OU recruiting over Oklahoma State when o- Oklahoma State's been the number right. one. And then, you know, and, you John know, you, Smith's you think kid about coming it, through and everything else. You think about it. Um, I don't think Ohio State's a good example. Like, Tom, Ohio State always got the talent, and Tom Ryan and company, you know, produced that talent at a high level, but they've always got the talented guys from the 80s, right? Yes, yes. But, you know, Brian Smith and Rob Cole are two guys that manufactured um, the potential for greatness in a program. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that – I don't think that Lou's up against it as much as maybe Brian Smith or Rob Cole were and carving a program out of granite. Sure, sure. But he's just got those challenges because Oklahoma State in the backyard, to your point. you know, So they're just going to have to manufacture and get that type of talent in the room. I think if he gets the talent in the room – and they're not, you know, a bunch of drunk, dumb kids that don't want to listen to him. Yeah, he's gonna. I know what he'll do with those kids, but he's got to get them. And I think that's the big thing that Chief, Gavin, Michael Leitner, Lou Rizzelli got to do. So with most programs, I would say you got to put a fence around the state. Essentially, I know I've heard that term used, right? And, right. Uh, if right. I, if I was at Wisconsin, I'd put a freaking fence around the state. F you guys, you ain't leaving. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. But so at OU, we just talk, I just talk, I brought the the OSU thing. Would you do the opposite at Oklahoma and kind of just expand your reach, or what do you yes. think, what would you try to do there? Go Kansas, yes, go to I Texas, would. go to everywhere else. I would do that. There there is a chance every now and again when there's an Oklahoma kid that John Smith doesn't want because the PA kid who's better than the Oklahoma kid yeah. is coming to Oklahoma State. But I would not waste too much energy on the Oklahoma kids that John also wants. I would get the Oklahoma kids that John doesn't want or isn't willing to offer them the same yep. type of money that you can offer them because I think that that's going to be a hard thing to overcome. Yeah. That being said, Oklahoma, I think, personally, is a better school. I've been on both campuses. I would rather go to Oklahoma I than, would than Oklahoma State. Um, so there's a lot of things that Lou has going for him to recruit outside of the state of Oklahoma. And, you know and the I mean? other thing is there, there will be support for the program. Um, right. Absolutely. Which can be good or bad. Obviously, I think that kind of struck Mark Cody down a few years earlier than, than he would have liked um, because those guys who are supportive, they want to win. They want to win bad. Right. Um, right. And sometimes they don't want to wait. And so uh-huh. that can be a double-edged sword there. But I definitely think there's support for the program. Um, all right. And we got Brian Smith calling in. Let me, let me click uh, him over. Hey, okay. Coach, how you doing? Good, Tommy. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for coming on the show. We're excited to excited to talk with you. Okay, well, we'll have some fun. I agree. I, I'm pumped, Coach Smith, because Tommy is a huge Buckeye homer, and I was able to brag after after the Tigers major. Whooped, whooped him. I'm a major. I'm a major <laughs> Buckeye homer. At the alumni. Oh, I've listened to you guys. I hear you guys. You guys are like <laughs> an old married couple complaining uh, at each other every day. Huh. But we never we this year they're the first tiger that we've had on. Tommy's brought on his buddies from he brought on Jaggers, he brought on Snyder, he brought on Ryan. So we're getting some tiger blood on the show. Um, nice. I think we'll start <laughs> off with you, and I'll let you take as long as you want to answer this. But we were just talking about Lou Roselli and how he's going to have to get started at OU. And obviously, we talked about Tommy talked about you and Rob Cole are two guys who have been really known to take guys and, and I could you know I, I know the Tiger lineup so I could name them take guys who weren't blue chip recruits who were may, maybe even walk-ons and make them not only starters but all Americans and national champions so what do you think it is about the the program or your style or whatever it takes to get those guys from one place to the other 
I think it just, you know, when people ask, why is the program successful? It's two words. It's tiger style. And it's not just a word we put on the wall. It's a lifestyle we have, an expectation that everybody's going to live from and believe in. And it starts with the coaching staff. And I'll even sit with my boosters and parents. We start from the recruiting process, teaching what tiger style is. And from that, you, you develop a culture. And from that culture, you get this work ethic and a belief that in everything we're going to do, we're going to do right. I remember you telling me one time, Ben, what that I uh, make you go to every class. It was like one of the few team rules we had. You're going to go to every class. And you said, if I'm going to go to class, I'm going to get A's in it. And that's why I'm an academic All-American. <laughs> and it seemed pretty simple, but that's our coach was asking me the other day from Mizzou, you know, what, what's all your team rules? And I said, it's really just go to class and all this study hall stuff, but that's about it. And live Tiger style. And if they believe in that culture, they're going to have success. And I think that's where it starts. When I think when I first got to Mizzou, it was develop an identity. Yeah. I mean, we had no identity. Nobody who knew who we were. I remember my one of my incoming freshmen, I talked to his mom, and she said, is Mizzou Division One, And I knew uh-huh. we had an, up, an uphill battle. Because <laughs> she was oh, from Missouri. So. <laughs> once you, do, you know, and the identity was, you know, sure. we had to just start from scratch, like, let's make them go to class. Let's make them come to practice on time. We, we couldn't win battles in the Big 12 that year. I knew that, but we had to develop that culture, that identity, that we're going to start doing the little things right and putting the extra time in and, and believing in the process. And once you get them to believe in the process, then you learn to compete. And I remember that fourth year that we had a lot of guys coming off red shirt, like Taryn Woodley and Jeremy Spates and kids that have been in the program for a couple of years, but started from scratch with the program. And we pulled off that first win against Illinois. And I remember saying, man, now we're learning to compete and we're starting to win a little bit. And I think we won 18 duels that year in the fourth year. But, you know, we didn't have our best NCAAs. And it's a process that learning to win and win consistently is not easy. And we continued and got better and better. And then, of course, you saw what was going on when you came mm-hmm. in as the recruit. And I remember people recruiting against us saying, you know, they've never had a national champ. They've never had Olympians. They've never had, you know, conference champions, all those things. And you, I remember that saying to my coaches that that may work for us. Because I think Ben has that kind of personality that wants to do those things, wants to be the first and be that, you know, pave the path there for that and be that first guy. And, and that's how we got you. I really believe yeah. that, that we sold you on, come be the first, let's build this program together. And you bought into it. And I remember going into that gym in Hazelwood Central. And even though you lost your first college duel, it was a crazy match and overtime with Pendleton, but we yeah. beat Oklahoma State that night. And and old men hugging me and crying and saying, I thought I'd never see that in my life. You know, us beating, we were 0 and 60. We were 0 and 60 versus Oki wow. State at the time. So it's, but that's a process. And then where we're at right now is, you know, keep not letting the culture think that you can just walk on the mat and win, that it still right. takes that same work ethic. I tell people, I haven't really changed the coach that I have. I really have. But I haven't. It's still those core values that we're going to do things the right way. We're going to believe in Tiger style. Obviously, we have more talent than we had in years past. But it's still, you're going to do the little things right, that we're going to believe in the process and do the, uh, you know, show up and stay after and do the drills, the extra drills that make you better. Go to class and instead of getting a C, get a B. And our team's really competitive. Nice. So that's, Absolutely. that's one of the things. I, I recruit kids when I talk to them, 
that are really, really competitive, not just on the mat, but just when I talk to them or if we bring them in on a visit and they're playing dodgeball with our guys, they're diving into walls and, you know, sacrificing their body to win a dodgeball game or a kickball <laughs> game. I love that. And I know if they'll do that kind of stuff in that type of atmosphere, then they'll do it on the mat and they'll do it in school. They'll just be kids that, man, I got to get a better grade than so-and-so. My roommate's got a B. I got to get an A. And when you get a culture like that, they want to succeed together. So that was kind of long-winded. I'm sorry. But That's all right. I knew you were going to provide okay. us hey, like, coach, some really I good got answers. A, I got a question for you, Coach, in relation okay. to the comment you made. Um, you know, wait, wait, and, Tommy, and, wait. Let me interrupt real quick. Is this okay. uh, is the question, did, in fact, one of our bench yell that Quartz's hand was a donut? No, that's not the question. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, uh, that is a good story, though, Ben, and you told it four <laughs> times on our podcast. So, you know, th- there's number five. But anyways, Coach, I-, I wanted to ask you because I could tell that, you know, you do live the lifestyle that you just, you know, kind of kind of preached the last five minutes. When, when did when did you feel like at Missouri, because I'm sure right when you got there, you didn't feel like, hey, you know, the program is is kind of running on its own. When did you really feel like you had a culture that was in place and it wasn't about building a culture, it was about maintaining a culture? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. Um, I remember, you know, in the first year we got a new AD and he was talk- asking, why do we have wrestling? And that was Mike Alden, who ended up being a close friend of mine and helped our program out tremendously. I mean, he's still one of the best ADs out there, even though he's retired now and teaching as a professor. But I had him for 17 years. But they were actually contemplating, why do we need wrestling here? So I knew it was important. His third year, he came to me and said, basically, I was going to be fired if we didn't win after the third year, that fourth year. And I knew I had the right kids. I knew we were... um, doing the right things in the classroom. Things were changing. The culture was changing. So that dual meet at Illinois wasn't just a big win for the program. It was a big win for my family. So we yeah. didn't have to move because we went on right. to Big Ten schools that year. And then I knew, hey, we're rolling now. And then a few years later, we're taking third. But it, it's it's not easy. And it was getting kids to buy in. And, you know, I had a, I've had to dismiss kids that were high-level kids, all-American-type kids. And and it's, you know, you have to kind of stick to that, to your values. You have to stick to what you believe in, and the kids have to buy into it. And if they don't buy into it, keeping them in the program isn't going to help you. It's only going to hurt your program. So, And also the type of kids you're recruiting. You've got to really look at the type of kids you're recruiting and say, do I really need that? Or this kid may not be at that level, but this kid's going to fit in with our culture. And I was actually right. discussing this with the recruiting coordinator from football the other day. We ate lunch together, and I said, I said, I haven't gotten all the blue chips all the time. I've gotten some really good ones, but I haven't gotten the best, you know, some of the ones in high school I thought as, as the best. Well, Von Mays was really a walk-on at Missouri. Yeah. I mean, Coach and, Smith, not to interrupt, but when you think about your, your team right now, um, Barlow was not super highly recruited. Matt Manley was not highly recruited. Uh, Von no. Mays was not highly recruited. I, th- I think Daniel Lewis and LaValle were a little higher profile, and same with Miklas and, and, and Jaden would be the only – blue chip i would say out of the whole bunch right probably you know when you say real big time blue chip and we got Jaden to commit really early because i knew it would be a battle yeah and then everybody jumped on him and we had to re-recruit him and make sure he was going to stay home but the toughest battle i had with Jaden was the olympic training center they were really trying to get him to go out there yeah 
And I told him, hey, come here. You'll win national titles. You'll make the Olympic team. And I remember when he made it, telling his mom, I said, see, it wasn't a recruiting. <laughs> it's the truth. Uh, <laughs> That's so, great. Uh, nice. uh, no, it's it's hard to, to to maintain that culture. It really is. And, and, and developing kids. But I really believe in today's, you know, clubs like you're running, Ben, mm -hmm. and you have the Perlers and the Ironmans, and there's clubs all over the country now that there are so many good kids that, yes, right. there's going to be kids highly ranked coming out, and they're going to get that ranking, but there's some kids at 17, 18 years old that are still developing mentally, physically, right. that if they get in the right process and the right culture, they can beat some of those kids years later, and I mean, Drake Hottishol is a perfect example of that. He was really unknown to the country, but when I watched him wrestle in high school and, and he was still a young kid and he was wrestling 160 upper weight just for the heck of it because he was bored of beating kids at the 45 and 52 and he won the state, but it was, you know, he had closer matches because he was up a couple weights. There's a kid that just loved to wrestle hard. And I said, man, this kid right. just lives it. And so if you can find that kid, because there's a lot of distractions, you guys know this, there's yep. a lot of things that can go wrong in college. And finding the right kid is, you know, uh, really, really important and how their family dynamic is. And not that we don't take, you know, little chances on kids that have trouble past or whatever, but we know they're going to, you know, that at the point when they come to our program, they'll, they'll buy into our culture. The guys will take care of them and bring them up instead of them bringing other people down. Definitely. So I want to get into, you know, you kind of hit on your early years, your philosophy there. Um, but but then I think there's a program switch there. I mean, I guess we could say starting in 07 when we take third. And so now, now it's no longer, okay, we got to make the name for ourselves. We got to try to figure out how to get in here. But now it's like, now year after year, you, you're competing with the national powers and you're thought of as a national power. Where I still think, you know, you guys aren't traditional like in Oklahoma State or in Iowa and you got to recruit against those guys. Um, you know, what's that like? Is it is it the recruiting battles? Is it the schedule? Um, but, you know, you I would say the Missouri program is, if you take the last 10 years, they're, they're definitely in the top five for consistent placing. Um, what's it like competing against all those traditional powers and now essentially becoming one? Oh, I love, I, I love it. I love to compete, and, and that's why I'm glad Tom, you know, Tom Ryan from Ohio State keeps us on the schedule just because – when I got here, everybody wanted us on the schedule. We were so bad. So I had six or seven Big Ten schools on the schedule. Now I only have one, and it's Ohio State, and it's been a great rivalry, and it's great for the sport. But it's hard because the Big Ten's so competitive now to get some of them to want to wrestle us. But Oklahoma State kept us on the schedule when we left the Big 12, and so did Oklahoma. I want a tough schedule because if you wrestle all, and we have Cornell this year too, with all those teams, it just, I, I really think it makes you wrestle at your highest level. And you should every match. But when you have those highly competitive matches, our guys start believing that, hey, we can compete with them. And I remember in those early years teaching them that we're going to have to wrestle this level at the national tournament. You've got to compete. And eventually we beat them. But now we're beating them consistently. Now it's finding a way to get guys into the NCAA finals. We've only had... We've never had more than one finalist, so there's other things. We've wow. got to get multiple national champions. We've got to have more than five All-Americans. We've done that three times if we're going to win it. And it's just, you know, progressing and, and setting goals for that stuff and doing it. This year's team has – we're very talented. But we've been through some tough times, though, in the middle of that. I don't know if you guys remember. Well, I know you do, the, but the, the difficult time I went year. through in 2012. In 2012, right. we won the Big, Ten, won the Big 12 – 
and then didn't have an All-American. I think in the last 10 or 12 years, that was the only year we didn't. But you and had, all, had, you had all 10 qualifiers, correct? And it was yeah, like, and we had all 10. And we've had, I think in the last five years, we've had 46 or 7 qualifiers. So we've, we've done pretty good with that. But that year just kind of hurt because we just won the Big 12. And I think it the school went a little crazy over it and everybody was patting us on the back and saying great things. And we walked into the national tournament and just really kind of did some bad things. We did, we just wrestled awful and uh, flat and just weren't inspired. It's like we left it at the big 12. And, and I take full responsibility for that. I learned as a coach that, you know, it was a big deal that we finally won a conference tournament in the pro first in the program's history. But we got to, it's not that big of a deal. We've got to perform better at the Nationals. We had better teams at the Nationals than that team. So it was learning. But it was also people were saying we were going to drop the program in 2012. And I remember just saying, that's crazy, and met with my ADs and how motivated I was as a coach to be have a better season the next year, to have a great recruiting class. And if you look at that recruiting class, it was Joey Lavalley, it was Jaden Cox, it was Willie Nicholas. It was an it was a great, great recruiting class, and uh, it was exciting because we got kids to believe that yeah, you know, it doesn't matter if we're not in the Big Twelve anymore. We can still be great, and kids bought into that. And I knew at that time we had a special group coming in, and that's kind of the group we still have right now. Nice. Um, so, Tommy, I guess you you let me nail this right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, cool. I got I got one question in there, but yeah, you you go ahead. You, you're okay. the expert. I'm I'm really enjoying the feedback though, and uh, coach, I've never really listened to you this long talk about your program, and you sound a lot like Tom Ryan. I don't know if that's a, that's a compliment or <laughs> or not, but uh, you, you know what? A lot like in our early years, we our... <laughs> Tom, Tom and I are from the. We grew up probably not that far away in Long Island. I my first first six years of my life, my dad was a football coach in Long Island. So I grew up six years in Long Island, then upstate New York for another eight years where my dad was coaching football till finally I moved down to Florida in high school. So Tom and I go back to the island days. So <laughs> both Long Islanders. Uh, so, so you know that it's a compliment and also not one then if you don't that well, yeah. right? <laughs> well, I, you know, I got away from it. I got away from it. I can look from the outside <laughs> in now and go, man, <laughs> things there. Yeah. yeah, but get Ben. Go ahead, man. Sure. So, so... I guess the next question would be about this year's team, and you kind of kind of already mentioned it's a special group. Obviously, they did really well last year, but we we had the group in 2007 where we made the run, and then in 2015 you guys made another run really deep. You had number one ranking for a while. You won the national duels. Um, you know, how does this group feel compared to th- those groups? Because I, I I know I know with my group in 07, and I know you told me the same thing about 15. Is there there was just a special bond between the athletes and a certain feel you had in the room? Um, you know, is that field there? Obviously, NCAAs is in St. Louis in March. Um, you know, it, it, this is a team I'm assuming you think is going to make a run for it, right? Without a doubt. We, you know, in the last few years, we felt that. And, but this team definitely has some, you know, quality coming back, guys that can score a lot of points. With, you know, you start with Jaden, and Jaden even said it. His most important thing, he told this to me, you know, right after, before and after the Olympics, he's like, Man, I want to win the Hodge, but even more than that, I want to win a team title. He's, he's, he sat and talked to me about it for like a half an hour on how important it is that he goes out and he's like, that would be the greatest thing for this program. And if we can do this, then I know we have the team to do it. And I'm like, well, your leadership will be a big part of that. And I said, some of my best teams had great leadership. So it's really important to him 
you know, he of course wants to win his third national title. I'm not yeah. making that like it's a lesser thing, but how driven he is to win the national title this year as a team. And, you know, and he knows that, you know, a couple of years ago when he was a sophomore, he lost in, in, at the nationals and it hurt the team. And he talks to me about that and how hurt he is about that, that he maybe didn't help the team as much. And I said, you know, it's not that, that you had a bad day. You wrestled consistent the whole year and you lost to Kyle Snyder in the semi. So when you look back, it was two Olympians, two Olympic medalists going at it in the semi. So, mm-hmm. right. But, it's just nice to see how driven he is. And then you have the other leadership with, you know, you have LeVon Mays and you have some other guys that have been in the program a long time. And we got to redshirt Joey LaValle last year, and he's really grown up a ton since then. And his work ethic has completely changed just where he's not just working hard, he's working at becoming a better wrestler, you know, and there's, there's reasons, to, there's a reason for what he's doing in every practice. I, I watched him yesterday, and he was showing somebody something. He was talking, and I went over and listened, and the stuff he was teaching the kid and showing him what he does and it's why he does it, and I was just like, wow, that's he's really figuring out the sport. And when you, when you become a student of the sport, you become better at the sport. And I know that redshirt year really helped him. And then you got Barlow McGee, who comes in every week, and we watch hours of film together just to sit and watch film of him. And that makes it fun. I mean, yeah. I get excited talking about it because when you have athletes like that that aren't just here to just come to practice, but they're having fun learning the sport, it makes what I'm doing, this is what, my 26th or 20, I don't even know, 27th year, it makes it fun. And uh, it makes you want to get in the room. And outside the room, they have a lot of fun. We had a sleepover at my house. Sleepover. And there were 50 people yes. at the house. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. But we had a great time. Hey, I was thinking about and- that Barlow match the, just last night. I was thinking about it, and I kind of like I started pacing in my driveway because I became enraged. Uh, yeah, but the, the all the all American match where he takes the guy down and then they say he grabbed the knee brace, but the knee brace yeah. is encompassing the whole knee, so it's like how how would you grab it without grabbing that? It's an impossibility. But I mean that that should be a, your fifth All American coming yeah. back, right? I mean that's just how, right. how mad were you? If I'm mad in September in the mad, driveway. And you can't control those calls, as you know, so you can be upset at the call, but you, obviously I can't talk about a bad call. So it's it's uh, it's just one of those things. We were actually sitting and watching film today and watched it, and I'm like, you know, you know what I told him? You should have got another takedown. Yeah. So it's, and he agreed. He said, I know. I said, if you got to the leg that easy when you push the pace, you should have got it in the first period and the second period, and you shouldn't have gotten to that point. So... Yeah, that's how you have to. You know, my mom used to yell at me that way. If I would complain about a ref, she said, "You can't cry about the refs. Yeah. You know that." But I'm a I don't commentator now, so I can complain. You can complain. I know <laughs> I can you can. All you I and want. Tommy can fight about things. <laughs> uh, uh, so, how high are the expectations on? And see, this is another guy where, like, it's hard for me not to consider him a, a big name recruit. But as far as the country's gone, I think he's kind of went slightly under the radar. Uh, kid name was well, name is now Jaden Ironman. It was Jaden Clayton. Yeah, um, four time Missouri State champion. Yeah. Um, now and so now is so Mike. Mike is his stepfather. Mike who coached yeah. Jaden Cox. Um, what are your expectations of him? How how hard is he working? How good is he? Even though he's kind of under the radar right now. Yeah, he's good. He's really good. I mean, his only loss at thirty three last year was to Zane Richards. So, I mean, what was the score of that, Coach? It was four or five point match in the Reno semis, but I mean, like, okay. 
he's had he had he's beaten three or four guys that are ranked right now and somehow they don't have him in that first ranking myself but he's good he's good there's no secret to him i think other coaches know he's coming out mm-hmm. so i watch him in the room right now and seeing you know that i have guys trying to make the team at other weights than where he's at you know that the kid's tough yeah. so he's the real deal he's the great thing about it is he wrestles with such a great feel that you will be in a cradle somewhere in a match. He's going to cradle people up. He rides the boots. I mean, there's no secret to this, but he's, he's got a great feel for things of putting people on their back. And you understand this, Ben, you know, that that he just has that feel. I've seen him with people, you know, on his leg and guys in the room wanting to punch the wall because they're like, I just, man, I thought I had a takedown. Next Uh. thing I know him, you know, I'm taken down and he's just, he's just comfortable. He, but he puts himself in those situations and wrestles from those situations all the time in the room. So it's not like he just gets there by accident. It's he's comfortable there. Definitely, definitely. Um, so I, Tommy, I don't know if you watched this, but I I just got around to watching the first episode of the Jaden Cox video last night on Flow. Coach Smith, did no, you watch I'm, it? No, I'm really I'm really excited to watch it, but I have not seen it yet. Then. Did you watch it, Coach Smith? Yes. Okay, well, I mean, I or you saw, saw it ahead of time. 25 minute big a longer trailer of it that they sent me just to kind of the breakdown of what sure, it's gonna sure. so i know and i they were filming it here so i knew that they were covering and mark yeah. Bader and i talked about it so sure so, so i know what's in it he kind of opens up i mean there's stuff on there that obviously i i didn't know as close as i am to the program uh, but he really kind of opens himself up in that and i've never seen him open himself up but in like that before into my from what I see, he's kind of been a little shyer, um, you know, even in regular media obligations, a little more shy before. Um, what was that like for him to open himself up, kind of? I think part of it is he's healing, and uh, and that's part of the healing process that you can talk more about some of the bad things that have happened in your past, and he, knew, he knows that if he's going to be a, a happy person and a, a, a person that, you know, can make it in – make it in everything he does which he does on the outside but he would struggle there was lots of struggles where we i mean we've sat in the office many a time where he's you know just crushed and down in the dumps and things and and we've gotten him through things and i know mike and his family so a lot of people don't get to see that and and we don't want people to see that side of him but for him to come out like that i look at it that i don't know if i I know i probably couldn't have done that what he came out and brought out to the public but i think it's it's showing his maturity. It's showing that he's healing and that he's moving forward in life. And I think that just should be, <laughs> to me, it shows that, man, he, with him getting even more mature and coming out with that, and he's more secure with himself and that it's only going to make him better. It's He's already a great person, but now it's just making him where he's going to have more confidence. He's getting past the, you know, the, the bad things that have happened to him. And now it's going to make him a stronger person. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, I thought that was all, uh, just an awesome piece. Obviously, there's more to come from Flo. Um, I want to say he's in episode two and episode three. Uh, but it was an awesome piece. I, I know the next pieces are going to focus more on his future, um, the last title, and, and then obviously the, the Olympic run. How was uh, – so we heard – let's go from the inside. How, so compare Beijing, because uh, you were there, obviously, and then Rio, because people were saying Rio was going to be rough. Was it as rough as people were saying it was going to be? No. Really? No. And, Easy. And I, I, they were saying all these bad things about Beijing, and it was beautiful. 
the Olympics yeah. and Rio was it was there was no really no, we didn't experience any problems except the cab driver tried to overcharge us at the end. And my <laughs> we can thank we can thank him. our we can thank our manipulative media for that. I I had the same um, reaction in 2007 I, when I went there for um, the Pan Am Games, Coach Smith. And you know what? If you go to the wrong part of New York City, you're going to get taken out too. But if you stay in the right parts, it's a great experience. I just hate how our media just sensationalizes right. those types of stories. It's true. It's, and I said that to somebody going over there. I said, I could be going to parts of Chicago right now, and I'd be just as scared for my life, if not more. And it's not right. to put that, but there's, there's, you know, there's places in the United States that sure. can be dangerous. Shoot, I grew up in South Florida, and I remember where tourists were afraid to come because there were bad <laughs> things happening. But I was living there, and I'm like, it's not that bad. You just need to, there's some problems in some certain areas, and you just stay away from them. I just and watched something special did. about, uh, Lady named Griselda Blanco, who's the she was the queen pin of the uh, <laughs> cocaine trade in Miami Dade County. You remember that? Or no? Yeah, I didn't hang out with her. <laughs> you, you were going to her parties on the weekend. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, little Benjamin. <laughs> uh, that'd be funny, right? Um, well, that that was most of the stuff I want to cover. I don't, I don't know if there's anything else you you would like to hit that we haven't asked you about. Um, but it, it was it was great to get some tiger blood on the radio. Finally, Tommy, those Buckeyes shut them down a little bit. Hey, we can, we can do a, we can do a tiger style month, man, because we got to get Jaden on here at some point as well. Yeah, I think. yeah. I mean, the exciting thing is those guys. We're gonna have two Olympians in the same duel meet, which you know before oh, they yeah. Well, yeah. we've wrestled Ohio State every year, but this year they're two Olympic medalists, which is you know you got a gold medalist and a bronze medalist wrestling in a college. Has that ever I don't know if that's before? ever happened before. I don't know, but that's I that wonder. should be promoted. I I know it's a Thursday night match, which is different. Tom called me and asked if we would change it, and I don't know if it's because of TV, but hopefully it is. When is and, that? Uh, it's, it's a Thursday, Sometime December eighth, I think. I think it's Shoot. December eighth. If I'm not fighting, Tommy, I might fly in. Oh, let's you guys do it, man. Together. We'll, That'll be more entertaining. You know, I wonder, I wonder if it's legal or allow if it's allowable for you and I to call the match. We could just do it and not ask. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we should call the match. That would be fun. That would be so much fun. Yeah, because it, it, it's in Columbia. It was obviously it was in Columbia last year, so it's in Columbus this year, right? Yeah, yeah it's Columbia. It's in it's in Columbus this year. Columbus, okay. Columbus, wow. Ohio. Wow. Yeah. That's be going. I remember, yeah, uh, I think we beat them every time in Columbus. I remember the one time we, uh, we, we faced them right before the Michigan-Ohio State football game. And, uh, Tommy, oh, don't say it. kind of kicked your butt a little bit, uh, you know. Oh, I just remember. I was going to say. I, oh, I got that I awesome shirt. The, yeah. Yes, uh, that's what I thought you were going to say. Don't say the shirt on radio. <laughs> <laughs> it was the, it was the. It was the town name of the where Michigan's from, and then oh, I know where it is. Uh, I'm yeah. a Spartan, so I know the name of Ann Arbor. But I, <laughs> Coach Smith, I did not know you were uh, college teammates with Mike Krause. I was hanging out with him oh, every yeah. week. Yeah, he, he was telling oh, yeah. me Mike, he was like a freshman and a sophomore. I think he came in. It was the first. It was maybe just a freshman with yeah. me. But I think he was with me for two years. He said you straightened him out ago. a little bit because he was a little too yeah. wild. He said. Probably yes. <laughs> My team at Michigan State was a little crazy. And yeah. I learned how I didn't. I learned how I didn't want my team to act. So. <laughs> and I also didn't realize Dan Wernsberger was your college teammate. I didn't put that one together. No, either. he came in the year after I left. Oh, he was after. Yep, I was there uh, as a senior, and they were bringing Wernsberger and Emilio Collins. 
and then I was like, man, these two are really good because Jesse Reyes was the assistant coach, and he recruited those guys in there, and they were two oh, studs. Oh, wow. So, huh. yeah. Interesting. But I still talk to those guys. I just actually talked to Emilio a, a little bit. Uh, we were texting the other day because he was down in, in Rio for the NBA. He works for the NBA. Really? Wow. So, yeah, you guys should get him on your show because he was a couple-time All-American, and now he's like fourth in command for the NBA, which is How great. How does a wrestling guy go from there to there? I don't know, but that's great. Wow. Great for your podcast right yeah. there. He's, he's awesome. <laughs> That's correct. That is. That is awesome. Um, so lastly, I saw on social media that, that Tyron, not obviously Tyron Woodley, uh, Big 12 champion, the first Big 12 champion from Missouri, and now UFC welterweight champion, uh, yep. stopped in the other day at practice. Did, did he beat up on the guys at all? Did he give you know business? what? He, 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 I remember him talking to Daniel Lewis, and he said, hey, we're not going on the mat. We're going on our feet. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and he said, don't think we're going any long goes here. So he he did scrap with the guys. He got to talk with them. And, gosh, it's been, you know, he was on 2004 and all those teams. So when I see these guys, it's 2006. Most of these guys don't even remember that. They're all 18. Yeah, crazy, they were four right? and five years old, which is crazy. So getting to see him, they only know him as more of the UFC guy. But then he brought his belt in and. He also came in and spoke to the athletic department. We have this Mizzou wow, Maid, nice. which is kind of a, you know, it's developing the student athletes, but I, I really think they just stole Tiger Style and they're moving it over to Mizzou <laughs> Maid, which is cool that they're stealing our thing and using it. But it's awesome that uh, him and Joey Garrity, who wrestled for, you know, yeah, Joey was yeah, your course, teammate and course. he's a doctor now and they're bringing back a, this week. I, I think next week the McCormicks will come in about and talk about stuff. What day? And, you know, life. Uh, they're coming in, I think, Tuesday, so before uh, you get okay, here. Okay. And then, of course, you're coming in back next week. So I think Mark Ellis is coming to practice tomorrow, so it's nice. Tomorrow, I called him. In. No, no, he's confused. I told Mark Ellis that he had to come when I was there. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe he's thinking next Saturday. Who knows? He texted Hopefully. me, are we going to be around tomorrow? So. Okay. But it's nice. To, you know, it's great. I think, Tommy, when you go back to the room and other guys come back to the room, it's I, I know I appreciate that as a coach that the guys get to see the great ones from the past and 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 they get to be down to earth with them and just talk with them and they can communicate with them. It's for these young kids, it's the world. It means a lot to them. Yeah, for sure. Hey, I think we lost Tommy. Okay, I think he dropped off. But um, yeah, either way, I guess unless you got any closing thoughts for us, uh, we'll call it a day. Oh, uh, it'll be. You know, we have. A, we're excited. I, I, I've never seen the state of Missouri this excited about wrestling. And, you know, you got to give a lot of that credit to, you know, first our programs had a lot of success and hosting eight NCAA tournaments. I think this will be the eighth one we've hosted, but then having a medalist this year, you know, Jaden Cox going for his third national title. There's never been a three-time national champ at Mizzou. So he's going for that. He's won the medal. Just the, the, interest in the sport of wrestling right now we're excited about you know our home dual meets and the type of crowds that are going to come out and the interest i mean the interest from the media right now is through the roof that it's it's exciting to see that the olympic the usa wrestling olympic movement has really transpired over to wrestling and helped us you know help college wrestling here this year we're having Jaden. so it's, it's some exciting times for us yeah, that's awesome for sure. Well, I'm excited, Coach. I will see you next week. We should have fun. And I'm going to yep. see you twice because then you're coming up here the week after that. So yep. 
coming up. I've never seen the Askren Academy, so I'm excited. Sweet. It's going to be fun. All right. Thank you, Coach Smith. I appreciate it, and uh, have a great day. All right, Ben. Take care. See ya. You are listening to the T. Rowan Funky Show, and it is brought to you by Defense Soap. Defend what you've built. Tommy, I got to say, I I tried these products. He shipped me a box. Uh, I love them. I've I've had, uh, if you know me, you know I've had ringworm issues for a long time. Um, so I, you know, I'm looking forward to putting these in my repertoire and, and hoping, uh, the ringworm does not come back ever. No doubt, Ben. And to top that off, the company was created by wrestlers. Guy Seiko wrestled at Cleveland State University. His son was an All-American in Virginia. So these people really get it. They know what the wrestling community needs.